We're back, baby, the Syracuse Sports Podcast. We welcome you to what is episode 50, but essentially Syracuse Sports Podcast 2.0. We changed the format of this podcast previously to the Stick to Syracuse Podcast for about 20 episodes, but we are back with a sports focus and glad to be here with you. You can subscribe in all the usual places, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, or you can find it right on Syracuse.com. My name is Brent Tax. Coming up today, Nate Mink, Stephen Bailey, the boys on the beat as the Syracuse football season is back. Yep, the state fair is going on. Kids are getting ready to go back to school. Summer's over, kids. Summer's just killing time till football season anyway. We'll talk all about Syracuse football, strengths, weaknesses, Dino in year four, why the defense may actually be the focus of this team, which is kind of weird to think about when you talk about Syracuse and Orange is the new fast with Steven and Nate coming up. But first, I've got three pointers. As football season arrives, it's never been easier for Central New Yorkers to put a little something-something on the sport. Turning Stone Casino, Del Lago Resort Casino, and many nearby casinos in New York State now allow sports betting. Now, you can't bet on Syracuse University sports, as New York State law still stipulates that you can't bet on teams that play in the state. But you can bet on a whole lot of things. The National Football League, Major League Baseball, college football, beyond the state of New York, and so much more. It's always been fascinating to me how New York State, yeah, stop me if you heard this one before, New York State was last in line for something like this until there was something in it for them. I visited the Lounge with Caesar Sports at Turning Stone for a series of videos you're going to see here on Syracuse.com. I can't wait to drop by on a football Sunday or maybe even a Friday before a real football Sunday in the National Football League to see how big the lines are for people getting in those wagers for the upcoming games. You can always go into a convenience store, play the lottery, If you play fantasy sports, if you do an NCAA pool at work, it was all gambling. But for some reason, betting on sports like you could in Las Vegas and other legal places was slow to come to New York. But it's here now, and I am fascinated to see how many people will no longer be betting on games for, air quotes, entertainment purposes only, but for real money. By the way, I got the Bills plus three week one against the Jets. You got to give it up to the Syracuse Mets for actually making the last part of their season interesting because it seemed the only interesting thing for a while that would be on that team is Tim Tebow. Well, Tim Tebow, for the second straight year, had to bow out of his pursuit of a minor league baseball career due to injury. Let's hope that's the last time we see Tim Tebow do that. As fascinating as Tebow is as a character, for somebody like me in the media, you'd think I'd love to have Tebow around. But that's just the thing. Tim Tebow was supposed to talk to the media before every homestand, and as the season went along, he just kind of stopped doing that. You know what else he stopped doing? Being a real baseball player. Tebow finished the year hitting 163 with four homers, 19 RBIs, and 98 strikeouts in 264 plate appearances, spanning 77 games. He didn't have enough at-bats to place him amongst qualifiers, but if he did, his batting average, slugging percentage, on-base percentage, and OPS all would have placed him at the bottom of the International League by far in each category. This was the second season in a row that Tebow's developmental window was cut short. An all-star season at AA Binghamton last year ended with a broken bone in his hand, this one with a cut pinky. This should be the last opportunity Tim Tebow gets 
at the very least a triple-A baseball, but at any level of baseball. It's nice that the Mets gave him an opportunity and maybe sold a few tickets along the way, but it is clear and present that Tim Tebow does not deserve another shot. We're going to get into Syracuse football with Stephen Bailey and Nate Mink here shortly, but it is fascinating to me the level of hype that surrounds this Syracuse football team. I can't remember a season as built up as this, certainly since 1998, which was Donovan McNabb's senior year. But even that felt different because that was a... That was a team that was coming off a string of nine-win seasons. McNabb was an established star and presence and even was whispered for the Heisman as that season began. Syracuse had just played in the Fiesta Bowl and was about to play in the Orange Bowl. Now, the similarities between that year and this are where Syracuse stands in its league. Now, then it was the Big East, and Syracuse was the class of it. Why? Not only because of the talent that was there and the job of the coaches and the players, but remember, Miami was down at that time. Here Syracuse is in the ACC, with Louisville down, Florida State struggling, and other programs that were once above Syracuse below them. Clemson, of course, is the 800-pound gorilla that Syracuse will have to overcome in order to chase their dreams of winning an ACC championship. That game's in Week 3, and it could decide the balance of power in the league that early in the season. But I'm happy that Syracuse fans are going into a season where they're going to watch a sold-out football game to start. They're going to see, I hope, and you hope, College Game Day make a visit to Syracuse for the first time for football. People believe again. Dino Babers is a likable coach. Tommy DeVito's a real quarterback. And it seems there's some recruits in the pipeline that are going to help this team continue this trend. There's a whole new generation of fans and students that are realizing that Syracuse University can play football a little bit again. Basketball will always be there, but this is football's opportunity to shine, and I can't wait to see it all kick off Saturday against Liberty. Let me say we talk a little bit more football. Here's Nate Mink and Stephen Bailey from Syracuse.com. So we're here with the fellas, Stephen Bailey, Nate Mink, on the beat. Football is back. And I remember we were sitting in this very room doing this very podcast a year ago, and I think the collective feeling among Syracuse football fans was six wins, bowl game, we're all good with that. Here we are a year later, and there are Syracuse fans saying, what do you mean they're only number 22 in the AP poll? A lot can change in a year. So I turn to you guys and just that right there, covering this team, the approach to covering this team, and what it's been like to see the transformation of Syracuse football, even from the start of last season to now. Well, I think this is kind of the the track that the coaching staff had anticipated taking when they arrived here in 2016. They, believe it or not, always envisioned this being about a four-year rebuild, and then when they got to the fourth season is when they expected things to really take off. So you might say last year, 10-3, and three, first national ranking since 2001, Uh, maybe accelerated that timeline a bit and maybe they peaked uh, a little earlier than anticipated that said uh you know here we are year four and yeah they're they're ready to to uh to keep this thing moving in the right direction and and they're they're ring hunting this year brent they have their eyes set on an acc championship uh some of those growing pains that everyone experienced in year one and year two particularly at the line of scrimmage you know, those freshmen and sophomores are now juniors and seniors, so they feel like they can compete at really two of the mo- most important positions in football, and they have a blue-chip quarterback who is probably as prepared as any could be replacing a record-setting quarterback, 
He's got weapons in the backfield. He's got weapons out on the perimeter at wide receiver. Uh, they're long. They're athletic in the secondary. They're more explosive. They're faster across the board, up and down the roster. Uh, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna take their swings and uh, they're shooting for a title. And anything less than that, as I'm sure we'll get in later to the podcast, uh, is gonna be a dif- dis- bit of a disappointment. And, and I'll add this: that something that may have helped accelerate at, at least the wins and losses. <laughs> I'm sure Scott Schaefer's looking at this ACC Atlantic division from Middle Tennessee and wondering, why didn't I go up against this Louisville program? And, and why wasn't Florida State's offensive line like this a few years ago? So, uh, you know, I think that, that Dino Babers and his staff have done everything they have intended to do, but they've also caught some breaks along the way. I mean, this division, aside from Clemson, is vulnerable. What would you say are the significant changes on this roster, coaching staff, anything that if a Syracuse fan is just kind of parachuting back in? By the way, Stephen wrote about this, so please read a story. But for those listening to this podcast, they're like, what's really the big difference between the team that walked off the field with a victory over West Virginia in the Camping World Bowl to the team that's about to kick off against Liberty? So I'll say this. There's no difference on the coaching staff, and I think that speaks to the growth of the program. Everyone is back from Dino Baber's staff, and you can you can kind of see that growth and consistency in his program. Like Nate said, a lot of the guys Dino recruited his first and second year are now some of the best players on the team. Um, looking specifically at, at positional groups, you're going to see some new guys in the offensive line. To me, Tommy DeVito aside, that is the, the, the unit with – the most new faces that that has that is the biggest variable as far as wins and losses this year. I think Ryan Alexander is going to play a really important role, a graduate transfer from South Alabama. It looks like he'll start at tackle. He's been working on the left side, um, I believe, for all of fall camp. Um, number 64, keep an eye on him. How well he does will be really important because Syracuse returns Aaron Service, Evan Adams, and Sam Heckle. Getting a fourth guy who they really, really trust in there uh, will be important for protecting Tommy DeVito. We'll see who starts at the other guard spot. It could be Dakota Davis. It could be Darius Tisdale. But how well you know you can protect Tommy DeVito and allow downfield concepts to develop will go a long way toward forcing defenses to not pin their ears back and come after DeVito because while he can run, he is certainly more of a pocket passer than Eric Dungy and he's probably, rightly so, going to throw the ball away and going to slide. So giving him time and in turn opening up the running game with strong blocking uh, opens the doors to all kinds of things for this offense. Nate, is that the biggest difference you think we could see with Tommy DeVito at quarterback? Because Eric Dungy was fearless. I mean, we've seen the highlights. He's going to go down as somebody who Syracuse fans remember as, you know, mortal combating defenders, you know, didn't meet a linebacker he didn't want to take on. Is Tommy more of a quarterback, as Steven just said? He'll throw the ball away. He'll be safer. He'll slide. I mean, he'll t- he has to take some chances. Every quarterback does. But where would you put him in the in the gambling aspect versus Eric Dungy, who was seemingly all in all the time? I think he's going to be smart with his body and, and smart with the football. I mean, Tommy, this isn't his first rodeo. I mean, he's a third-year player. He's spent the past two seasons watching Eric learning behind Eric. I mean, this is, you know, he's a he's a third-year quarterback in Dino's system, much like Eric was a year ago. You know, Tommy's a guy that can touch every corner on the field. Quick release, accurate, can stretch the field, push the ball downfield. Uh, you know, charisma, leadership, he checks a lot of boxes uh, that you want in a quarterback. And, you know, I, I think, you know, for him, it's, it's, it's playing within himself, you know, 
seeing what his limitations are early in the season so that when they do get into that meat of the ACC schedule, you know, there is no second guessing out there because you got to be perfect when you're going up against the Clemsons and the North Carolina States and the Pittsburghs and the Florida States. Tommy seems to have followed a script. Highly rated recruit, four-star guy. He's in that six-hour window. Got him from New Jersey. He's got the strong arm. You mentioned the aspects of, of leadership. He's gotten time. He's developed at a good rate. They're not shoving him out there. Like Eric Dungy, who got out probably a lot earlier than he anticipated. It's fascinating to me. Like You've got to check the boxes of developing a college quarterback. Tommy DeVito, as he gets ready to be the starting quarterback against Liberty later this week, seems to check every single one of them. He's, he's just a really good player, Brent. I mean, there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I mean, he was a lead 11 kid, went out to the West Coast in a, in a highly competitive environment and performed very, very well. You know, I remember a few years ago talking with Roy Whitkey, who is one of the behind-the-scenes staff members that uh, has a really, really impressive background in quarterback development. Uh, coached Tony Romo at Eastern Illinois, uh, helped coach for a little bit Jimmy Garoppolo at Eastern Illinois. And one of the things Roy told me, he had a conversation years back with Phil Sims when Roy was recruiting one of Phil's sons. And Phil said one of the key attributes in a quarterback is they don't strain when they throw the football. And if you watch Tommy throw the ball, it is effortless. The ball jumps out of his hand. There is no straining to push the ball downfield. It is all just natural biomechanics. And when you combine that with the accuracy and the pinpointedness, uh, you feel good about that position. That's a really good nugget from, yeah. from Phil Sims. Who like, Say one about Phil Sims, the guy who knows the quarterback position and, and has seen it develop through the years. It's a point I've never heard about the quarterback, but something to keep an eye on because the other quarterbacks on the roster, I do see a lot of straining. I think that's the concern is last year at this time, you knew you had two quarterbacks on the roster. I don't think we know that at this point. Yeah, I agree with you. I'll give a quick plug. If, if you search Tommy DeVito Effortless Power, you can go read my story from last year about how he developed those mechanics at the Elite 11 and working with Leon Clark. Power and accuracy go hand in hand, and and I think we saw with Eric Dungy after he left Syracuse last year and said, "Hey, I need to re- retool a lot, a lot of my a lot of my form. I need to get my feet under me. I need to align my shoulders. All of those things." You know, you look at Tommy DeVito, and and while he d- doesn't have the experience that Eric did, he does have those mechanics. And and looking at the guys behind him this year, they they don't. And you know that's. If, if there's one thing that could really throw a wrench into this season, and we're kind of flashing back to the first three years of the Dungy era here, it, it would be an injury to Tommy DeVito. Clayton Welch and Rex Culpepper are both older guys. They've gotten a lot of practice reps. We saw Rex start at Boston College a couple years ago. But, you know, I, I think with either of those guys out there, the, the playbook slims down, defenses really can pin their ears back, and you, you run the risk of making some mistakes. So... That's that's a real concern. The staff has not decided on a backup quarterback as we understand it. And, you know, ho- hopefully whoever they decide on or if they keep evaluating, those guys will be able to get an opportunity, right, uh, against Liberty, maybe Maryland. You've got Holy Cross, Western Michigan. I think four of the first five games, maybe three, depending on how you look at that Maryland game, are, are opportunities for those backup guys to get game reps. So the backup quarterback's a bit of a mystery. The offensive line we think we kind of can see how it's going to develop, but they just need time. Two positions on offense that are clear and present, running back and wide receiver. There is depth at both of those positions. 
it's amazing to see when we talk so much about the Syracuse offense, how we focus in on DeVito, Dungy, the quarterback, the passing game. There are three really good running backs on this roster, and Dino Babers is going to have a hard time keeping them all off the field. I would say maybe four. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that unit is absolutely loaded. I think they've got six scholarship guys two of whom in, in, in Moniel and Abdul Adams that, that I think would start on a lot of ACC teams. Uh, and then Jarvion Howard, who I, I want to say led the group in touchdowns last year as, as a short kind of short yard specialist. They did give him some drives, and he's he's certainly someone who can open up, you know, if, if, he, if he gets some space. You know, he's probably your third guy right now. So it's I'm really interested to see how Mo, how Mo and Abdul kind of are, are given carries. Are they splitting drives to start? Is it a hot hand approach? And then when do you put Jarvion in? And then the fourth guy who who is really kind of caught my eye is Jawar Jordan, who's a true freshman, um, was actually a part of two recruiting classes ago. He had some academics to sort out, um, but he got here in the spring and just caught caught everyone's kind of attention. You know, he ran the second fastest forty on the team. Um, he's running away from first-team defenders when they go ones versus twos in team period, and, and he's kept that up this fall. So for him, the question is, can he learn the playbook? Uh, so all, all of basically all of that said, there's a lot of versatility in that room, and I think we're going to see some different things formationally and scheme-wise out of that group than, than we've seen in the first three years. Nate, coaches will often tell you when they have depth at a position that, oh, we don't need a number one wide receiver. I actually believe Dino Babers or any offensive coach that says that about this group. I think you've got four or five, you know, weapons that could all qualify as kind of the number one. You've got some up and coming freshmen. I'll say one, Courtney Jackson, who's been pretty impressive in the viewings of camp that we've gotten here. So, sky's the limit. It seems for for Tommy DeVito. A lot of options there. No shortage of options, Brent. And and you're right. I mean, they have speed and talent on the perimeter and in the slot that is going to put a lot of stress on an opposing defense. I mean, Tristan Jackson, Taj Harris, those are both multi-sport athletes that are just almost joystick-like when they have the ball in their hands. I mean, Tristan, honing in on him a little bit, uh, is just an exceptional athlete, obviously a four-star recruit who originally landed at Michigan State before transferring in uh, a year ago. Uh, He makes 50-50 balls, more like 70-30 balls going in his favor. I mean, he's got an exceptional catch radius he's going to be able to to really be a downfield threat that if you do see that man coverage which they like to really try to isolate and and scheme up uh you know that's going to be a target i think tommy looks to quite a bit this year and i I think if you had to handicap a receiver to go over that magic thousand yard threshold like we've seen amba Etawa do and we've seen steve ishmael do i think tristan's right up there and then you look at what Taj did last year as a freshman. You know, there's a lot of expectation for him to continue to grow and develop. Inside, Sean Riley's been on the field since a freshman. Uh, he's very, very fast. Nikeem Johnson is very, very fast. Uh, again, health is key, you know, and, and what can slow down a fast guy is just an ankle or a hamstring. So they got to be judicious about keeping their bodies fresh. But if they are operating with all their bullets in the chamber, this is an offense that can be more explosive than we've seen yet here. We've spent a lot of time on the offensive side of the ball, yet all the preseason accolades for this team individually are either on defense or special teams. You've got the buddy cop duo of Andre Sisco and Andre Schmidt. Every email you get about a preseason list is those two first-team All-Americans, and that's pretty impressive considering they were both freshmen a year ago and are now two of the best players at their respective positions in the country. 
You got Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman, two impact defensive ends, a deep secondary beyond Cisco. I feel like every year we say, oh, they're replacing the linebackers, or these guys got to step up at linebacker, and it always seems to just kind of work itself out. I mean, yeah, when you think of Syracuse, you think of offense, but could the defense be the identity of this team? I, I think so. Um, you know, I, I think I think ideally all your units are good enough that you're not defined by necessarily one of your groups. Um, but I but I think, and, and this has come back to me from a few different people, that this defense should be the best one Dino Babers has had as a head coach. And that may not be saying that much, coming from Eastern Illinois and Bowling Green. Last year was probably his best at Syracuse. Um, but, but absolutely, the defensive line is stacked. Uh, they'll be without McKinley Williams for one or two games, maybe three games. So you're a little thin at D-tackle, and the linebackers are going to be first-year starters in, in Lakeem Williams and Andrew Armstrong. I've heard a lot of good things about how those guys have done uh, done this fall. Lakeem believes that they're actually ahead of where Ryan Guthrie and Kylan Whitner were last year. It does make sense. They both played linebacker the year before. Andrew Armstrong's been getting second-team reps since he's been here and, and was on the field a lot last year. So uh, I, I don't think there is so much a weak link that can be attacked as we saw in, in the first two years. You know, Syracuse's secondary was attacked especially when Scoop Bradshaw was playing with one arm for for the back half of one of those seasons. Teams were just running right at him. So, I mean, this is this is a group that is ready to, to be one of the best in the ACC. I believe that. And when you look at that secondary, I think for sure it's the best of the Babers era. You've got <laughs> your backup cornerbacks might be Scoop Bradshaw and Antoine Cordy, who've started a combined 45 games. I mean, think back to the secondaries of just two years ago. That's... A, a huge jump so yeah i think that i think the defense has the potential to be significantly better than the offense this uh, year no coaches in this room so we don't have to take it one game at a time i do want to mention liberty here coming up shortly because it's an in intriguing game it's a, there's a bit of a mystery in, in this opening game but everybody's pointing towards the clemson game september 14th if syracuse is 2-0 if clemson's 2-0 i am certain college game day will be in town for that it is the most built-up, hyped game that I can remember in Syracuse, New York in a long time. I mean, if you're talking about a, a built-up game between two good teams, I really think it's the first time since that Syracuse-Tennessee game, the last official sellout that Syracuse had at the Dome. This is in an event town. This is an event town that draws a lot. I call them the Fairweather 10,000. They're the fans that just kind of show up when, hey, that's something cool to do. There's a buzz about it, right? So it's all building towards that Clemson game, boys, and Clemson's the most important game of the year. Now, here's the little hitch in that. The last two years, the starting quarterback's been knocked out of the game. That's a significant factor when you talk about Syracuse Clemson. If Trevor Lawrence plays all four quarters of that game, look, as good of a defense as Syracuse has or not, it could be a long day. Brian, Clemson's loaded. I mean, Florida State in 2013 set the FBS record for most points in a game. They put up 80 on Idaho. They were playing hangman on the sideline in the second half when Syracuse went down to <laughs> that's Tallahassee. Right, that's right. That, I mean, that team Long way since was then, ridiculously right. talented. Jameis Winston, number one overall pick, was the quarterback. I think every player on their starting defense was drafted. You know, Kelvin Benjamin was on that team, obviously. I mean, go up and down the, up and down the list. I mean, it was, it was absurd. This Clemson team has a shot if, you know, they play – all four quarters to challenge that Florida State team as as the statistically highest scoring offense ever. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is a guy some people thought if he had been eligible to come out of the for, for the draft last year would have been the number one quarterback taken. I mean, he's he's going to be here at least two more years, you know, guaranteed two more years. He's probably not going to go past his junior year. Cla uh, Travis Etienne, running back, first team All-American. Justin Ross uh, made some ridiculous 
catches in the national title game last year against Alabama. I believe he's a sophomore. T. Higgins is a junior. Uh, probably the maybe the best offensive line that Dabo's had. So now you have all that protecting Trevor, uh, and he has all these weapons at the skill position. I mean, yeah, they, they are going to be explosive, and you put them in a dome environment. <laughs> uh, you know, you might need 50 to win that game, quite frankly. You might need to get to 50 to win that game. Uh, so Clemson, you know, uh, still is the bar. But I think, again, to kind of circle back to the previous question, I think Syracuse is as well positioned to compete with them as you can possibly hope for, given the talent that they have on the defensive line, given those long, rangy, fast corners and defensive backs back back there. I mean, if they're, again, healthy and have a full complement of players, take your swing and, and do your best because, I mean, Clemson's not going to be walking in there uh, half asleep. I mean, that's going to be a 7.30 kick, Maria Taylor, Kirk Herbstreet, Chris Fowler. I mean, those are the games that they know the national spotlight will be on them. It's not a noon or a 3.30 kickoff in, in Death Valley. I mean, that is going to be uh, probably the, the premier early season ACC game in the country, obviously. And uh, I think it, what's interesting about that, Nate, is they're coming off Texas A&M. You know, you're not coming off Georgia Tech. I think Clemson should be able to handle. And, you know, unfortunately for the ACC Network, I think they're going to have a blowout for their first uh, football game that people will be tuning out in uh, early because Clemson's just going to roll Georgia Tech. I think Clemson will beat Texas A&M. I think Texas A&M is probably like a year away from where they could be. But you're not playing, let's say, Liberty in Week 2 there. Like Syracuse gets in Week 1. We'll see how much of a challenge Maryland is in Week 2 for the Orange. But there's a lot of interesting things about that game. The balance of power in the ACC could be decided in Week 3 of the college football season, which you don't really see that often. Let me turn to you, Stephen, and uh, we'll discuss Liberty here. Intriguing first game. Don't know a lot about Liberty. We know Hugh Freeze is the coach, and even he's had a rough offseason. Poor guy's had back issues. Then he had a staff infection. He's doing videos from his hospital bed. We don't even know where he's going to coach in this game, in the box, on the sideline, if he coaches at all, which I imagine he'll be back and, and ready to go for. So what do we know about this Liberty team that Syracuse will open the season with? Yeah, not much. It's been interesting kind of starting to to talk to some of the, the guys on the team about it. They're just turning the page from camp to Liberty prep, and basically they're, they're watching film of the coaching staffs at their previous stops. And I think to an extent you can prepare for base formations and get an idea for what some of the personnel did last year. But I think the biggest thing this week, and even a little bit in Maryland week too, because Mike Loxley is a first-year head coach there as well, you need to learn how to adjust. You know, we're going to see, you know, what what can you pick up from the sidelines and what adjustments can you make mid-game? Where do you, do you see a weakness you can exploit? Do you see a linebacker who's missing his assignments? Do you see a defensive lineman who is just getting pushed back every play? Um, you know, I think that's the biggest thing. The biggest thing that's going to come into it is you can kind of prepare for it, but frankly, you don't you don't know what you'll see, and, and you already have enough of that from from programs that are coming back. You know, every coach in the country wants to surprise their week one opponent, so you can gear up a little bit for it. 
Um, but from Syracuse, from a, from a preparation standpoint, I think it's we're going to see, you know, how ready are these guys to adjust on the fly? Because even Clemson in week three, they're going to throw some new stuff at him. And uh, Lakeem Williams and Andrew Armstrong, for instance, how ready are you to identify pre-snap indicators of the offensive line? You see, you know, the guards land this way. Are, are you going to be ready to get to that spot? Um, so I think it's actually a really good opportunity for those guys to get themselves mentally ready for the season. All right, boys. We're going to close with this. I'm going to ask you for a prediction. It doesn't have to be a record. It doesn't have to be anything that you don't want it to be. But I do want a prediction from you. Just something about this upcoming season that you feel confident in saying here on the record before it starts about the 2019 Syracuse football team. They must stay healthy. If they stay healthy, they can win 10 games and go to the Orange Bowl. Is that a prediction? I think that's a prediction. It's a hypothesis. There's a little asterisk on that prediction, but I, that is a pre- I will put that down as a prediction. All right. Well, I'll give you something a little more certain. They're going to a bowl game. There's, even if Tommy DeVito gets hurt and the world is on fire, like if they don't win six games, I don't even know what happened. Like Dino Babers left midseason or like there was some kind of catastrophe. I mean, they've got four wins basically written into their schedule. Liberty, Holy Cross, Western Michigan, and Louisville. If, if any of those games is even close in the fourth quarter, something bad happened. So you pull out another two. Um, and that really just speaks to, to how the bar has shifted, which we've covered all that. But there's, there's no way they don't make a bowl game. No Here, way. Here's my prediction. Dino Babers will utter the word Ohana and La, La Familia. I'll make another prediction. Bold. I'll make another Bold prediction. Bold right there. Dino Babers will be the Syracuse coach in 2020. I agree with you there. Oh, setting up the jinx. I Fans are not going to like that. <laughs> Fans are not going to like that. He went from a maybe <laughs> to a definitive prediction nobody's going to like. And we'll end on that note. Thank you, boys. Can't wait to read all your coverage this season. Thanks for joining us here on Episode 50 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Axe. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and find this on Syracuse.com as well. Hope you can join us on our next episode. Syracuse University Athletic Director John Wildhack will be my guest. Until then, may your dome foam be cold, may your dome dogs be warm, and never the other way around.